Updog fella. Look good, feel good, play good. We got some new Adidas golf swag coming the fella's way. I don't know if any new golf swag would help your game, but, but I love it. Adidas is excited to introduce new offerings within the go-to apparel collection that allows you to bring your style to the golf course. Not the traditional golf uniform. Go-to brings a fresh attitude to the game wherever you play. You'll look good on and off the course while enjoying all the technical benefits that let you play your best. Featuring streetwear-inspired style, the go-to collection rewrites all the rules and encourages you to express your style through every swing. Explore the new go-to collection on adidas.com slash golf. Fella. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a fresh new episode of Missing Curfew. I'm Shane O'Brien, as always, coming to you from Action Park Studios in Beverly Hills with my boy, Scotty William Upshaw. Get the slippery mitts there. Drop the I dropped the fucking pen early already. <laughs> hey? What's going on, brother? It's because we're drinking waters. This is three weeks in a row of just waters. What's going on with us? I know. I guess we get some good feedback. We sound pretty good. I was going to say, what's happening with the... I look forward to, the, to a little rouge... On 10.30 on a Tuesday morning. <laughs> in and around <laughs> really the holiday the season. Tone. <laughs> I mean, as always, that's Captain Connolly in the booth. You know what, Cons? Listen, as we know, when we started this podcast, I was doing the Whole30 Challenge, trying to, you know, get healthier. And when I fell off the wagon, like any good Irishman, I fell hard. So we were coming in here. I was excited to drink the red wine. And then we had that long weekend, Uppy, when, when, you know, when we turned the clocks back and we had a little guy time. And fuck, I came in that Tuesday and... I felt like I let the squad down a bit. You know, I felt like I wasn't 100% ready to rock. And so I've been trying, well, I've been, well, I've been if, trying if to think. If I easy. could say, <laughs> Upshaw was right with you there. <laughs> I never leave a fellow behind, ever. That was a team effort. But the funny thing is now Broadway is, you know, clean as a whistle. So uh, you got, uh, there were some judgmental eyes. I think Broadway and I were doing a little eye rolling at you guys. I mean, you guys were struggling. Did anybody say anything? Our, our boy, Dennis Shannon, who actually, um, <laughs> who we play golf with, he, the, that, that week I saw him on the, whatever, the Thursday when it came out, he always, he's a true fan of the pod. He, I saw him Thursday at, at the course for a cocktail. He said, you're hurting a little bit that Tuesday morning, weren't you? I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about, Denny? But yeah, I went out Friday, then I parlayed it into the Sunday afternoon, and that up. Sunday will get you. So we're still, you're still feeling it all these weeks later. You feel your performance is better when you're not drinking. Well, listen, I, I, I told my 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 boy Upshaw here. Listen, I, I go out Friday nights. That's my night. I play golf Friday. I go, out, I go out so hard Friday night that I, I'm so hungover that I can't drink the rest of the weekend. So oh, that's uh, great though. And then honestly, cons, I like to play Sunday morning golf now with the boys, Doherty and all the boys. We play Sunday morning, so I go out Friday night, Saturday I recover. We'll get up Sunday, play golf with the boys, and might watch some football. So I feel way better. So Friday night, Friday, you play, you play a booze round, you parlay that into like a little big night on Friday, and then Saturday you start the recovery, and then you come in ready to rock for the podcast on Tuesday. That's, that's exactly, exactly what he does. Yeah, that's exactly. And when we say we start drinking Friday at about eleven. And then I stopped drinking Friday night at about four in the morning. Well, so it's a pretty good shift. Also, too, when you when you get a little bit older, and I'm a little bit older than you guys, I'm a lot older than you guys, but yeah. you don't plan your nights out. You plan your hangovers. Totally. And that's what's happening to you, Oops. <laughs> you're backing into your hangovers, right? So if you know you got to be at work on Tuesday, you're like, all right, I'll feel like shit on Saturday, feel a little better on Sunday. 
play a regular round of golf on Monday, and I'm killing it on the pot on Tuesday. You just got to appreciate a guy that just knows his limits. He kind of knows the new the recovery, the recovery aspect, the build up, the build up on a Friday morning though for this guy is he ready to rock or what? Right by not drinking all week Friday, you're just a killer. He'll let you know too. That's the game I want to go. He rounds up his troops and says, "Let's fucking go." But anyway, there's not there's not enough air conditioning in this room that would have saved us on that Tuesday morning. There was there was we were leaking oil. We were leaking oil, and I had the fucking I had the Captain Carly voice going a little bit, which I already have a kind of a scruffy voice myself. So you were just slugged. I was just I was just like it's just like that three and three back in the day in the minors on that Sunday when you're just like out there. I mean, you guys were drinking tea. You we came in drinking tea. I was, we were drinking green tea, but that was just because me and Updog decided to turn the clocks back that weekend. Well but. deserved. Cons, you got a little story from, from Mountain Gate for the boys, don't you? On a, yeah. on a Stanley Cup champion goaltender? Ra- randomly. So it, it's early. I want to say it's like a 6.50 tea time, and I'm in the box, stretching it out, stretching it out. Guy pulls up. And he says, 650. I was like, yeah, yeah. I said, how you doing, man? I'm Kevin. And he's like, uh, I'm Rogie. And I said, Rogie Vachon? And he's like, yeah. And I, I, I lit up like a Christmas tree. I was so excited. I'm like, oh, Rogie, man, I'm a, it's an honor to meet you. I'm a, I'm a huge I'm a huge fan, a huge hockey fan, you know, and, and he humiliated me. Yeah, first of all, there was only two of us there, and uh, you would think that this guy was Justin Bieber. Like, I, uh, you know, like, oh, I know it must be real tough for you, Rogie. Uh, I don't know how you keep such a low profile. Fucking Rogie De Niro. Yeah. You would think Rogie would be slightly excited, or how about thank you, or I don't know. But Rogie, two-time Stanley Cup winner, Hall of Famer. Big league, Joe. Did you tell him we had a podcast or what? I didn't. I didn't. Fucking A. But we should. Listen, I didn't have a chance. He blew me off. And then I told him, I said, Rogie, you're in the wrong tee box. So maybe uh, maybe he's starting to slip a little bit. I'm like, Rogie, this is the north course. You're on lake. I found out. So I, I haven't seen him yet, but I get him for 18, and, and I'm going to confront him. <laughs> I love that he's just still throwing it around here in Hollywood. You know, 50 years, 60 years after he wins that 1969 Stanley Cup with the Montreal Canadiens. Pretty pretty big legend back in Montreal back in 69, yeah. I'd say. Uh, right, to win the Cup for the Canadiens in 69. With the name Rogie. Yeah, that would have been great. I mean, he's a guy, like, speaking of, you know, Conley's Movember, this guy from the pictures we just pulled up, that's a pretty good duster he's rocking right there, up dog. That's a duster. He so played for the Kings. I guess once you play for the Kings, you're going to end up here. Fair to say? I would say so. I mean, I, I'm going off guys like Rob Blake and Marty McSorley and, and Luke Robitaille and these guys that played a lot of times in L.A. They all bought property in Manhattan Beach back in the day where it was a lot cheaper. They never left. I mean, it, it's, it's a tough place. Hot, yeah, it's, it's the one thing that's different between the Kings organization to the Ducks. You know, for Ducks guys, like Getzlaff sticks around. Gigi Bear's a guy, but there's not many guys that make... It's the Jiggy man? Jiggy, Jiggier? no. Jiggy's no, back left. in Montreal. Like, there's not many guys that, in Anaheim that stay there after the career where... Tamo's the, the, still there. The, Tamo. Where would you go from I, there? It's just crazy. I don't, I don't know, but in, in L.A., these guys, they, they stay in Manhattan Beach. They, they rock and roll, but... I mean, guys, for whatever reason... So did reason, Rob Blake and those guys and Luke Robitaille start the let's live, let's murder Manhattan Beach and, like, get real estate? And that's... Did they start that? Were they on the forefront of that for hockey players? But yeah. yeah I Rob Blake is... Uh, Rob Blake led the path for, for buying property. His place he's got, like, on the corner of that strand is probably one of the nicest places in Manhattan Beach, if not the nicest It's like a, and double, most expensive. a double lot, I think, right, that he bought for, like, back in the day. Oh, God, he probably got it for nothing. I want to say, like, million and a half or something. Right now, now it's worth, like, fucking 15 and or whatever. And he's got commercial real estate on the on the main strip down yeah. the PCH. It's 
he's, he's living. Marty McSorley's there. A bunch of the boys are there. So that's one of the things, like, all the Kings, even when we played up, like, all these guys that played for the Ducks, we'd come back for the summertime, and then they, as soon as they lost in the conference finals, like, it seemed like they went every fucking year in the conference finals. Sure when, did. When we were Bastards. waiting for places to rent, we're like, <laughs> fuck, like, well, these guys are up and lose, but they'd all leave, go back to Ontario, whatever. It seemed like the Kings guys... They would hunker down in Manhattan and, and really enjoy themselves, and I think that's well, the place. Why they would were Richie pr- leave? Mike Richards moved. I mean, I know he's got a great place. I guess he's just that kind of a guy, right? He's a he's a, a quiet paced guy, Uppy. Like as we well know, with, as we well know with Richie, yeah, for sure. He's um, he's got his lake up in Kenora, Lake of the Woods in Manitoba. He's fishing. He's on his boat. He's smoking cigars. He's a he's, nature guy. He likes a little glass of whiskey. Um, you know, he's him and his girl and. Fuck, they're just living life he's up there. He's always been like too. that. I feel like Richards is a bow hunter. Buddy, he's been catching some monstrous fish up there in Kenora. I had to, I had to check where the fuck Kenora was, to be honest with you. And it is literally on the border of Ontario and Manitoba. You can't get more yeah, and, more and, yeah, and, and the United and States. The United States yeah. so. so it hovers there. And uh, yeah, there's a holiday season here with, uh, with a little ice fishing. I'm sure he's just cracking them. Yeah, it's, it's he's the type of guy, though, that, I mean, you play with him, you would know more than me, but just getting to know him a little bit and... You know, he's. He, I never thought LA was going to be his scene or stay out here. He's always just been a small town Canadian boy that wanted to get back. And but cons, it must get a little boring up there, up there for well, him throughout the saying, fucking course of the winter. Beach, when you got that money and you got that property, I don't see where there is where there is to go. Hey, Uppy, you were talking about something before. Well, I only heard half the story. What What is happening? Tell me about the Michael Jordan golf course thing. What is the deal there? Fucking MJ. He's really taking golf to uh, to another He's level. He's got his here own course, at, right? Here at the Grove 23 is his, is his track out in, uh, in South Florida there in Palm Beach. But uh, these guys, they're caddies and the guests are, uh, they're accepting beers and vodka tonics and vodka sodas. Uh, from fucking drones that are flying out from the clubhouse, from the men's room, flying out, meeting them on a tee with a with a bag of goodies. I don't know what's in that bag, Obi, but it could be anything, and it could be cash. <laughs> what are they By the way, it might be Canada. It could be anything in there, but um, yeah, they're they're flying drones around to get the boys uh, so they don't they don't go thirsty. So they could fly like, hey, we need four vodka sodas on fifteen, and, and they a drone come out in these fucking mil- military-looking drones that can carry I don't know how many pounds, but sure, if if we're drinking, they better be able to carry a lot. Well, they and- carry weight. They do because I mean, a lot of those drones carry camera lenses. I mean, they can carry up to thirty pounds. Some of those drones. Yeah, it's cool. So check it out online. But yeah, they they the one I saw, the, they bring it down. There's like four Bud Lights, some Stellas in there, cigars. There's and a video online. There's a video online oh, of, man. of these guys delivering. That. And Uppy's a big tech guy. Um, Cons. Uppy loves it. Like Uppy's like love it, these microphones. Anything love with these technology, cameras, he's fucking fired up. So our boy Blano, Blaine Stewart, sent it to us the other day. We were looking at it. And we were both loving it. We're like, this is fucking sick. And then the good Canadian boy that Plano is, he's like, yeah, but it kind of takes the car cool out of the element. And I was like, fuck, good point. Good point. The, dro- <laughs> the drone's sick, but you, you can't lose the good old-fashioned car cool. Maybe the you? drone can drop a couple of girls off for you on the fucking 19. I mean, so did they do away with the cart? I People? mean, from from what we've seen, we don't know if it's a COVID thing or, or or what, but we just saw that they they started doing it because our buddy, like I said, Blaine, sent it to me. Is it is it for COVID or is MJ? Rocking? I think it's just a fucking hey, cool. Look at this just drone like, I'm coming fucking down. Michael yeah. Jordan. Yeah. yeah, heads up, don't hit it with a golf ball. Order it on will at will, right? So I know certainly when I'm sitting there and I'm in the tee box and I see the car girl, I'm like waving my. <laughs> <laughs> my yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to get her attention and like sometimes when you need the most they're nowhere to be found where you push a button and the drone brings you a cigar 
and a goose and soda. I love oh. it. Or a putter that you just launched in the fucking creek because you three putters. I need balls. I need, I, need a, I need a sleeve of balls. <laughs> up, up dog needs a new 60 degree. Up dog snapped a 60 degree over a tree last I week. Sh- I sure did. Shattered it. Why? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, um, you're good at golf. He has high Let me slam my club. No, you know why, Cons? The golf, the golf club um, uh, of my 60 degree had... It's seen a lot of uh, different turf the last couple months. I threw it out on the street one day, and then I, 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 I go out there over the fence to look for it, and it's in oncoming four-lane traffic, MacArthur Boulevard. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it had made it over the fucking four lanes into the middle of the street. I had just turned and hucked it. I, I don't You're lucky you didn't get sued. Well, I, I know, know, I know. Yeah, yeah, that's true, because I'm the only left-handed golfer in my club, and it would have been... Plus my... your fingerprints and your DNA are all over it. Bro. Oh, yeah, yeah. But Does this is the same street that if I pull golf balls on, say, the... The 11th hole <laughs> i'm pulling them directly into these into these cars which which sucks because i like to swing hard on number 11 no so i'm macarthur so like when we're coming back from from you know recording today we come off the 73 macarthur it's right beside our golf course and you will see golf balls on the side of the road and i would say at least four or five of those are the up dogs because when, when he turns over 19s, it, yeah. yeah it's not perfect i would like to see speaking of the drone what mj's standard order is when he brings the drone in though Obviously, there's some guards in there, but yeah. is he a big drinker? I think he's, he's, he's a huge drinker. He's a drinker. I, think he's, I think he's a beer guy, is my guess. Oh, he was drinking course. whiskey on uh, on his show. On right? the last yeah. dance. Yeah. Right. So we were playing, uh, quick MJ story, we were playing Pelican Hill back in the day, me, Uppy Loops, and there was an MJ Jumpman bag out, outside the valet, like a big green one with a, with the Jumpman on there, and I'm like, I bet this guy probably, I didn't think it'd be MJ, right? Like, I thought somebody just maybe... You know, was a big MJ fan, whatever. Anyway, sure enough, we go in the men's locker room, and there he is. I've never seen him. He's sitting there, obviously, playing cards with the boys, and we didn't have enough balls to say anything to him. But I just remember walking in there, much like, you know, Jeter or whatever. When you see him, you're like, holy fuck, that's MJ. So um, the drones are unbelievable. That's a, that's a fucking national We wouldn't hesitate touch. now to shoot the show. Now, now I would have probably said something to him. But Get him right then, in the studio. Fuck did me. I tell you um, the, the story about Gretzky and Jordan at Sherwood? Did I tell the story on the pod? Have you guys heard this one? No, so I'll give, you, I'll give you the quick story. So this isn't a secondhand story. Wayne Gretzky told us this story. This is straight from the horse's mouth. Gretzky and Jordan are playing Sherwood, you know, 9, 30, 10 o'clock tea time, but they're lagging. They, they rip through a case of beer before they even tee off. And Jordan lights up a cigar and he's like in the first tee box and he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot even par today or something like that. And the caddy snickered and Michael said, is something funny about that? And the caddy's like, no, no, no. He's like, I don't know, I feel like you're laughing, so if you want to put your money where your mouth is, let me know. And the caddy's like, oh, I, I'll bet you 200 bucks. Jordan goes, you're on. And the other caddy goes, can I get in on that? And Michael goes, absolutely. Cut to 18, Michael drops a three-feet putt for even par, <laughs> snatches 200 from a, each caddy, and he gets in, at the time it was a limo, he gets in the back of a limo, the limo is driving out of Sherwood, Brake lights, car backs up, turns around, comes back through the circle at Sherwood, rolls the window down, and Jordan says to the two caddies, do you guys have a TV growing up? (laughs) (laughs) And then off he went. (laughs) True story. That was like our boy Brandon Steele that plays on tour. So Phil Mickelson took him under his wing for like the early in his career. So on Tuesdays, they'd play money games. 
And much I guess I've always says this about you. Like Getz, you'll come play and like be beaten up show all day, and then up you'll press him on the last few holes and end up losing money. But Phil Mickelson would always do that to Steeler. Right? He's like Steeler, I'd be beat him for six holes, seven holes. Next thing you know, presses me, booyah, I lose fucking a grand to Phil every time. I'm like, that's just a veteran way. That's a pressure some, player. Some people are just born with greatness. Yeah, he tells a great story, uh, Steely, when they're doing that thing on Tuesdays and it's down to the last hole and there's a couple presses on and Phil's got like a you know 15 footer and he calls Bones and he says, Bones, come here. Have a look at this one. Who's Bones? Is Caddy? Caddy, like his legendary long time, yeah, long time Caddy. This is a fucking practice round. Phil Mickelson calls him in just because he wants to get in Steeler and King and Bradley's. So sure enough, he calls in, brings in Bones. What do you think about this Bones? What do you think? Breaking <laughs> left, going left, Bones, left to right. Boom, Kansas loses. Steeler loses like two thousand bucks. <laughs> um, we got a great guest today. We have an unbelievable guest coming on. A, a, a guy that we've all known very well. The guy that may have. We'll get to the bottom of it, but I think he's the first guy that, that met Captain Connolly. Correct. It's Danny Carcillo coming on. And if Carcillo and I don't meet each other, we're maybe not sitting here today. I that's, mean, he was my big. connection to all you guys. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know anybody. Yeah. He introduced me to Lupul and the rest was rest was history. Yeah, we go way back too. I got uh, I got traded since speaking of the Gretz one uh, the Gretz, uh, the great one playing with MJ. Um, yeah, he shipped uh, Carcillo out to Philly, and I went to the desert. That was, that was when I began the Desert Dog. <laughs> desert Dog. That's a pretty good trade for you. Pretty good trade for both guys. It was, uh, it was. I was heartbreaking. I was playing with Loops, my I boys, know. and fucking on an incredible team. So we're gonna look forward to hearing from his days in Philly. But uh, if, we'll see what he remembers. Car, yeah, about that. yeah, because yeah, he was Carbon then. He I just was remember full Carbon. Yeah. He's a new guy now. He played it the right way. So we got an unbelievable guest, Daniel Carcillo, coming up next. Welcome back to Missing Curfew, Up Dog. We got another legendary guest. Yeah, we do. Um, a boy that, that, without this guy, we may have never met Captain Conley. We're going to get into that right now. <laughs> but we have uh, Daniel Carcillo, over four NHL matches. And this is a stat that I like, Carbomb. 1,233 pims, buddy. You know I respect <laughs> that. Welcome to Missing Curfew. Thanks for having me, boys. It's good to be on. I've been, I've been tracking the show, man. I love it. Love the energy. Awesome. Well, we've been tracking you, too, and we couldn't wait to get you on. And, uh... And hear just how this all went down with with our captain in the booth here. So we're wondering if we, we're wondering if we could still if, if the nickname Car Bomb is still sticking with you now that you're done playing. Can we still call your Car Bomb, or should we come up with something else, or, or, or how's that flying? You guys can. Right. Well, well, just for, for sure. the purposes um, of the definitely. podcast, we'll call you that, and then after that, we'll go back to Carcillo. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, man, it's it's all good. I still, uh, you know, still really cherish like a lot of the friendships that I made and. K-Cons was one of them, um, really introduced me to that Hollywood lifestyle, <laughs> which was eye-opening. Um, but <laughs> hey, yeah, you and I both. Super, yeah, exactly, right? So, and then just weaving in all the other people, uh, all the other boys from, um, you know, like uh, you guys, Bissonette, Lupo. I mean, um, it was, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. I um, met him. Uh, where do we meet cons at um, Staples, right, after a game? It was uh, Wayne. Uh, Wayne's daughter was actually singing the national anthem that night. And you know what else um, was the significance? Wayne was going for his 100th win as an NHL coach. And right, we were at right. the, sitting in the ice box, which is, by the way, the best seats in hockey, and only Staples has it. But there are the yeah. seats literally where I was sitting in a seat and Carcillo and I were shoulder to shoulder between the glass. So we started chatting it up <laughs> through the glass and made everybody really uncomfortable because we were having full-blown <laughs> conversations between shifts. It's, it's either you or Will, Will Ferrell sitting in between the glass. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, uh, I mean, th that night, like, was, it was a special night, but it started off, um, I, was, I was young, 
you know, pretty much said whatever I wanted, did whatever I wanted, didn't really care about the consequences back then. And I remember Wayne's, Wayne's daughter was like to commemorate that night, he was singing the anthem. And I just, I remember looking back and, uh, woo, boys, you know, <laughs> how can you not be jacked up after hearing that? You know? and, uh, and then, uh, yeah, the conversations were going back and forth with cons. I ended up scoring a sick goal. I remember dropping Dahlman, uh, the defenseman down, like he, he went down, slid. I pulled it to my backhand, put it, put a top corner. And then, top uh, yeah, and then, then the real fun started, you know, then I really started to, I wasn't, you know, expected to score every game. So then I started running around with Ivanis and Connolly was there with a bunch of his buddies. He's like, he's like, get me a fight. I'm like, oh, man, I'm like, the only guy that's going to fight is, is radius. And he's six, eight, like 270. I heard he did 16 one-arm pull-ups in training camp. Um, uh, I played I the like, minors with him, Carbomb. He was fucking crazy. Absurd, We'd all do right? squats, and he'd grab the thing and start benching it. Like, like Cost, three right? plates aside, he was a monster. Cost, so you're, you're was, a badass, bro. I, I was there. I he saw. Was, no, but oh, he was there. He was egging it on. Oh, I know. But Wayne knew. He's one know? of the scariest. Keep going, Carbomb. But just to say, Ivanis is one, one of the scariest fuckers this. ever. I know uh, this. And Wayne kind of came down the end of the bench. He saw, like, how I was acting after I scored a sick goal. And, and you pointed at me from center ice. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, like, Con's like, yeah, man, like, you know, you think you can get us a fight? I'm like, fuck. I'm like, yeah, I mean... I probably. Um, and so I remember going out, I, I shuffled back down. Wayne was kind of looking at us. Um, Cause I think you guys and Doug, were going to meet him after the game anyway, to talk about getting him on a episode for entourage. So I shuffled down. He grabbed me by the two shoulders. He's like, don't you fight that guy. And I'm like, all right, Wayne, that's, that's cool. <laughs> jump over the boards, uh, go out. Uh, rim comes along uh, long rim. So I'm waiting there backs to the backs to play. Here comes radius, like full stick to my back. And I went down and I just kind of, I got up, looked at him. Uh, I think I speared him, tried to wind him. And then I definitely jumped him um, and got one off to the right side of his temple. He started bleeding. Big man saw that. He did not like it. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then I got confident and I'm just, you know, throwing. And he literally just came with one and just goes, dunk and uh, hair back, knocked down, uh, not feeling great for sure. And then I remember skating, you know, to our bench and cons is sitting in there and he's got, he's got the thumbs up. And, I had a vodka soda in my hand. Yeah, was it easy? <laughs> one one thumbs up and one vodka soda. Was it ESPN that captured we were it? Or? On the, we were on the the page, the ESPN page. By the way, I have it framed in my in, in my office. Yeah, you signed it for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. like it says like you see Carcillo, and I'm just like fired up. You can just tell I got a serious buzz on, and it's just the adrenaline was <laughs> so crazy. I have one thumb against the glass and a and a vodka soda in my hand, and, and you know it, it's funny, uh, Danny, because now over the years strangely like i i look back i understand now I, I part of me feels almost guilty about that but you don't know what you don't know right I, last thing i ever wanted totally. to do was get you hurt i mean like yeah we're at a game like yeah we want to see a fight but when i look back now and i think about what you've been through you go you know i, I you know i don't feel good about uh my yeah, problem listen, i had to Kevin. imagine that was a concussion there right yeah yeah it was for sure but you know you got to understand something too like my mission now is just to get the truth out, right? We we had the truth withheld from us. Um, and so it's just now a matter of like talking about the risks and recognizing the signs and symptoms. And back then it's it's about like putting your name on the map, man. And, and that was a part of my job and it was still very much 
very real back then in 2000. That was only what, 2006, 2007? Like nobody was talking about mental health. Nobody was talking about concussion. Nobody was talking about any of that stuff, right? So if it's not on the radar, then you just continue on. And, and to your point, you do um, you do what you do with what you know. And I just know so much more now. Um, and so now it's just, you have to talk about it. But uh, yeah, I remember you guys coming back into the room. I had the ice bag on. You had head. a giant baseball <laughs> on your forehead. <laughs> and, like, and I was like, oh, like kind of woozy. I was definitely concussed. Uh, I was like, I then, guess we um, can't go to the standard tonight. Because that's what, yeah, for whatever yeah. reason, well, Carbomb was hellbent on wanting to go to the standard. I was like, buddy, I got better places. Yeah, what night of the week? Saturday? Yeah, like, there's a better place. Well, no, they what were flying that? out. He, they they were flying a, out, but we we had a rain check. We had a rain check. Yeah, we had a rain check. Yeah, with circled a little, pulled an upshot, circled a little date on the calendar, and then uh, we made up for it. But that was also the net. You know, Carcillo and I became buddies, and he said to me, um, "Hey, you ever see my buddy Lupo out there? He's running around Hollywood doing his thing. Keep your eye out for him." <laughs> so when I did finally see Lupo, I was like, "Hey, man, I'm a friend of." Danny, we started talking, and the rest is kind of history. Now here I am with uh, with these beauties. <laughs> yeah, you met a lot of the guys at that. Um, I think it was the NHL All Star Awards. It was in Vegas that year. <laughs> that was a big one. That was uh -huh. the one where you had the uh, we're calling it the Carcillo hat trick coming back, a goal and assist in two fights. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've never heard. Carly told me that this week when we were talking about having Johnny's like, Carbone had a goal assist in two fights. I'm like, I've never even heard of anyone. In his first game That's back from, the, from the Olympic break. That's what it was. Ooh. It wasn't the all-star game. It was the Olympic break. It was like a marathon. Hey, you so, got those are the worst games to play in those ones after Olympic break. The Olympic or break, or oh, the Olympic the break two weeks. The all-star break four days was long enough. Coming back from like, worst, I play my guest you're, best hockey, guilty hockey. <laughs> yeah, you're hoping for a flight from like Vancouver, Toronto to Vancouver, you know, so you could really get that five, six hour siesta. <laughs> <laughs> Cause, cause you got to tell the story about Carbomb and Lappy. Remember the one you were telling me earlier this week? By the way, this was the same. This is one of the best the stories I've ever heard. That, well, uh, you were <laughs> who is it? LaPierre? Is oh, yeah. Is, is, right? Was he on your team, Carcillo? Yeah, in and, Philly. Yeah. Right. And uh, it was like you guys had one game, and then it was the two-week break. And you, he, he said, Carcillo, let me ask you a question. You're telling me you can't stay in one night and then go out for two weeks in a row? And you're like, I just don't think like that, bro. I live in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I just live in the for moment, sure. boys. I'll take That's tomorrow it. as tomorrow comes, but today I feel like going out. The moment's telling Dude, me to go out. <laughs> take advantage of the day, man. I mean, we were, I was young. You know, you can do, you can do those types of things when you're younger, you know? And then as you grow and evolve in your career, then you... You learn and, and you bring things along. You drop other things that don't serve you. But, you know, back then, you, we all ran. Yeah, we all ran for sure, you know, on and off. But, I mean, <clears throat> that's the difference, too, I think, in today's day and age than um, traditionally back when we played. It was We were much more close-knit because we were forced to actually be face-to-face -face and have those real conversations. Whereas, you know, now it's just a, a lot of it's done over, like, Xbox and gaming and it's cool. It's just, it's, um, it's different. You know, the game evolves, the games change. We touched upon this OB cons the last time I was in LA, like it's, um, you know, highlighting more skill, but it seems like that, um, that passion or that, um, that care for the fellow next to you is, I don't know. I, I don't want to say lacking in a sense, but, um, uh, it's all trending in a definitely a, a very different direction than I think what, what we were used to. 
Hey, Carcillo, is that when you single-handedly shut down bottomless pasta night at goal? (laughs) 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 The GM's like... There was a lot of carb load nights, for sure, man. The GM's like, I want to try something. It's Monday night. We're going to do... We'll try bottomless pasta. I'm like, okay, yeah, let's try bottomless pasta. Carcillo comes in. And he puts a dent in the bottomless pasta at the end of the night. Well, maybe we should kill bottomless. Maybe we kill bottomless pasta and cap it at three bowls. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hailing spaghetti. Cause, I, I love that. Cause text me next day. He's like, car bombs up in town, by the way. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to come up and see you guys. Like, by the way, you crushed bottomless pasta night last night. I think he's, I'm like, he's not going to eat The Haunting Boys there. don't mind it, but no. car, car bomb, before we move on, just one last thing. We, we were talking about the Winter Classic, and I always said, I never played in one. I, I never said I really would ever want to play in one, but. One of the highlights of watching the Winter Classic is when you fought Thority. Now, going mm. into that game, did you did, was it you know did you plan on it? Did it just happen? Was it something you want to do? Because I think to this day it's still the only fight in the Winter Classic, which in my mind is pretty fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, that was cool, um, and it was definitely something that I had on my mind um, to you know get in the record books, you know, put your put your name down, and really just take advantage and do that. However, however. You can, you know, and so with Thority, it just kind of happened. I definitely didn't want to fight him. I was going after, um, who's the bald guy, uh, French guy on Boston uh, that also fought, is it Stefan? Uh, I can't, I'm blanking on his name right now, but um, I was going after him the whole game. And then, um, then Thority kind of just presented himself and he's like, you know, he's like, you want to go, you want to do this? Like, let's, let's do it. And it was kind of cordial. And, um, I think he took me a little bit lightly, you know, like a lot of other guys did just underestimated, um, you know, my power. And, uh, I was able to put him down when he tried to switch from right to left and was right in front of the Philly bot or Philly, Philly bench and Danny Briere and like carts. I got a sick little (laughs) picture of it and, uh, they all signed it and stuff. And then Philly versus Boston and, you know, shot them the, uh, (laughs) The horns in the box, yeah, yeah and I, I had the stash going too, um, in honor of uh, of the old school guys in Philly. So it was, it was, yeah, it was cool. It was a good day, man. It was a yeah, it was a good good New Year's day. Also, too, the the other winter classic when the when Carcillo was playing with the Rangers, they're playing the Islanders, and of course, lo and behold, Carcillo gets the game winner against oh, the, the Islanders stadium series at Yankee Stadium or whatever it is and then I go like I don't know he, he, he was definitely still at the arena and I there's a voice voicemail he's like you like the celly? <laughs> <laughs> nothing like you a like good celly. celly nothing like a good celly <laughs> these guys always laugh at me too because if I score a goal car bomb like early in a game first intermission I'll go and I'll like fucking fire these guys in California text I'll be like boys did you fucking see that like celly I fucking literally like flew over the boards coming in hot like if these guys are like fucking up so i'll send in texts again from the game <laughs> oh, that's Car- the best part about it man totally carbon one last one last thing about fighting i don't want to talk the whole time about you but i did it myself and, and you did it a lot now not after your career but when you were doing it you know i i, I did it because i had to do it did i enjoy it uh so, maybe sometimes a lot of times i did not now did you enjoy it while you were doing it what playing against you i always thought like you did i thought it made you a better player i thought it helped your game but when you laid down for a pregame nap or you went to bed the night before, did did you think about it? Did you enjoy it or did it keep you up? Because some nights it kept me up and didn't help my pregame naps. Yeah, I think um, my first five years in the league, 
I didn't give it a thought. There was a lot of things, you know, and we've talked about this before, like that happened in junior hockey. And there was just a lot of, um, of trauma that was really fueling me, you know? Um, and <clears throat> I used my anger as fuel and I used it to my advantage. Um, but again, like as you get older, uh, when I got to like 25, man, I hit a wall, you know, and, and I was, um, all the writing was on the wall that I was either, you know, going to be dead or out of the league if I didn't change my lifestyle and change my thinking. And it's funny, like when you get more conscious and you start thinking about the risks, you don't, you just don't want to be thinking in general in hockey, right? You want to be reacting. So you could see like my first five years and my flights just reckless. And then my last five years really just on the defense and picking and plotting and really cutting down the amount of fights for sure. But also understanding too, that you pigeon yourself, your whole yourself into a role. Yeah albeit into a role that I, that I liked, like I still liked the fact that, um, you know, throughout my whole career when I was on the ice or, or other guy, no matter what time of the game that other guys on that other side had to think about their actions because there was definitely going to be a reaction from me if they fucked around. Yeah. So, um, and I think that gave my teammates confidence to go out and, and play um, and so that was, that's a big part of, of what my job was, you know, and then making fire playlists for sure was, was, was the yeah, part. That's huge. I made a living off that. Throwing rookie parties, <laughs> having the music <laughs> fucking dialed in. Marcelo's um, a music guy yeah. as well. You and you totally. and I, two of you guys. Which is why we got traded for each other, which, which actually yeah. was, was a big monumental, you know, moment in my career when, um, I remember I'm playing with some of my best buddies. I had Hartnell, I had Lupul, Chemo teaming in what I was with for the first seven years of my career. You know, I got a call that night. It was actually after the trade deadline. Uh, you know, it was like TSN. And they're like, you got traded. And I'm like, what? The fucking yeah. deadline was two hours ago. And they're like, well, you're sorry to break the bad news. And I'm like, where am I going? And they're like, you're going to the desert. You're going to Phoenix. And I'm like, all right, that's not bad. And then they're like, uh, yeah, you get traded for Carcillo. And I'm like, fucking A. So, you know, I don't know about for you, there. but uh, that team in Philly, maybe you can touch on this because uh, it was some of the best times I had playing hockey in, in one of the coolest sports cities there is uh, on a team of guys that ran hard and played hard and had fun and were respected by the coach, John Stevens. Uh, we had Barubi, um, you know, Holmgren, who probably loved the way you played. He loved the way I played, but you actually, you you would drop the mitts and fucking, <laughs> you're an animal. So uh, touch on that. And then touch on the guys in that room. Uh, I believe the next year I left, about four or five of them got divorced. So I can only imagine what that was like for, for you guys running. But just touch on that Philly experience for you and what that was like. It's life-changing uh, for me. Um, and, you know, I remember that day, it was kind of like towards the end of the day. And I was still actually, um, for, for whatever reason, I was at the rink in the washroom and kind of when I heard it, um, but I had asked for a trade. So I knew that I was leaving, right? Um, there was just a bunch of things that happened and I just kind of overstayed my, my welcome. You know, you can only make so many mistakes in an organization. And then um, I really wanted to go somewhere where I could make a name for myself and where hockey was valued. And I didn't feel that, um, you know, staying in Arizona was justifying that. So like, obviously when I got traded to Philly, it was amazing, but then I got traded for you and, and you had a huge following. The fans loved you. And I got a ton of hate you know, <laughs> coming in there. Like, why are we bringing this guy? And, and, um, so there was a lot of the, there was a lot of pressure 
I Probably just from all pressure. the single girls that were like, fuck, our boy Upshaw's gone now. This Carcillo better bring the heat. <laughs> oh, he's got two missing teeth. He's not bringing any type of heat. Um, Chicks in so, Philly love that car bomb. <laughs> so there was, um, you know, you guys, can you guys hear the landline? Yeah, that's okay. We'll still got the landline out there. You must be on a big acre. I'm at, I'm I'm a at my mother-in-law. I got my got three kids at home. My son's e-learning. You know, I got to get out of the house, dude. So yeah, so like coming to a city like Philly, Knowing, like, I played against Richie, I played against Carter, um, played against all you guys coming up. Uh, it was a time where we were all in basically the prime of our career, you know, like 22, 23, 24. Um, you know, I really felt like, you know, we could, I could do some damage on a, on a really good team. And I really wanted that type of um, fan base behind me, you know, like, cause I really feed off of energy, totally. you know, and uh, Philly was the, my favorite team growing up. So it's, it's probably why my style of play was the way it was with uh, the Legion doom. And um, I just remember those orange stanchions. And so coming to it, uh, it was great. Like it started off really great um, because John Stevens actually picked me up from the airport. And I remember that and I'll never forget that. And John Stevens was one of the best coaches that I ever had both in Philly and in LA from uh, a coach standpoint to just, I really don't care about, the coach them it's the person yeah, you know yeah. and he just made me feel so welcome and then coming in with guys like mike richards and jeff carter who i played against in the o um you know chemo teaming in who i ended up you know finishing my career in chicago with um just a, a whole host of like heartsy really really good guys young guys coming in like Giroux and we just had a really good nucleus of old with mixed in with the um with the young, with the young guys, you know, and it was great because I just love Mike Richards, man. He's yeah, he's gay, like, oh, he's just, and he, and he walks to the beat of his own drum. He's got supreme confidence in himself. And that is not typical in, in hockey, you know, like we're all kind of insecure and walking around and, you know, and this guy, you know, he's just so, and he, and he doesn't talk about it. Yeah. He just shows just it. His presence. So, oh, it was so easy to get behind him, you know? And, um, and it was fun. So it wasn't as if like, yes, there was pressure because we'd get booed if you don't score on two power plays, you know that. But um, it was really, really fun. There were some great rivalries and we were all just kind of, you know, working towards something that, um, you know, was going to end up materializing to be pretty special on that run, you know, and uh, always feel like a really good connection with them. <clears throat> and you know, you're a part of it too. And, you know, the, the first time, um, I got traded from Pittsburgh to Arizona is like for George LaRock. So it's like similar guys. Um, but, but yeah, that, that team was, was special. Like, so then John left that next year, um, and, uh, and Lavi came in and, and then the whole dry Island and, uh, <laughs> you know, just guys were like, you know, buddy yeah like it wasn't the same we're successful man we don't need yeah we don't need these mind games yeah you know, we're totally. gonna we're, i'm gonna show up i'm gonna be a pro i'm gonna be a man and if i don't show up and do my job to the best of my ability or better then you can say something to me you know but that wasn't the case with a lot of us like we were operating on a very high level so um you know to after we made that huge run in uh in 2010 and then everybody got the whole team basically got like dismantled because of voicemails from fans it's um you know it's pretty unbelievable and then richie goes on to win cups mike goes on to win cups Fuck, i go on better. to win cups totally. Kimo goes on to win cups you know we had 
all of the right pieces of the puzzle there to do it in that city. But for reasons that, you know, I don't necessarily need to list, it didn't happen there, you know? So, but yeah, man, I'll never, ever forget that run, my time there being forced to live in Haddonfield because I came to the team with not the greatest, <laughs> not the greatest. I was living uh, out in old city. So yeah, they're probably yeah, like, Hey, yeah. this upshot was running, <laughs> running around a little too much. We're going to stick you in the dry part of uh, New Jersey. You can't oh, yeah. buy alcohol like I sat down with Homer. Yeah. I sat down with Homer. He's like, that's the first thing he said. He's <laughs> like, we got you a house in Haddonfield, New Jersey, dry town, <laughs> yeah. dry town. And uh, I was like, okay, yeah, that's cool. You know, I was like, I was ready though for a change. You know? yeah, I was ready to get more serious, you know? Carbomb, I got traded around a lot in my career, and, you know, we were similar, right? We played hard, and, and we would fight if we'd have to. And I know you look back on your career a lot, and this is a question I wanted to ask you. You played in great places, Philly, New York, L.A., Phoenix, Chicago. Do you ever look back, and, and, and maybe you thought what you did was taken for granted, or, or if you would have stayed in places for a longer period of time, do you think it could have been different? And, and do you feel like you weren't appreciated sometimes for your career? Because I feel that way sometimes with how much I got traded around. Yeah, sometimes. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I'm in um, and, and this has been a lot of, of of work that I've had to do on myself over the like the last five years. But I'm in a really good place and, and um, I'm, I'm really happy with both the body of work of what I put um, what I put in to achieve what I achieved. I, I think it gets lost on people um, what we actually did, like how special we are, you know, and when you leave the game, you're so broken. But we are uh, 0.001% of the population that did what we did. And so we have these amazing, amazing skill sets. And I just don't think that we value ourselves that much when we're in our career, you know, because there's just so many pressures and it's difficult to um, because you just got to you really got to toe that line. And when things don't go the right way, sometimes you get moved, but sometimes you get moved when things are going the right way and you want to stay, you know? So I look back on my career and there's mistakes I made, but I realized like, man, my life has been planned out to get to this point, you know? And there's like, there's been a lot of uh, suffering and then really great things like, you know, um, but my whole career, like there's no, there's no regrets, you know, I am uh, no, and no matter what happens in the future, as far as like what comes, you know um, it's uh, just in a, just in a solid spot. And grateful for the opportunity to be able to have that career because I wouldn't be here right now, you know, talking the way I am and and hopefully uh, being able to over the next year, bring um, this novel care option for TBI survivors. And it's, it's, it's amazing, you know? So if um, you had to do it all again, I'm sure you would Obi. And, um, and, and if I had to do it all again with the same information that I was armed with, I would too. Yeah, you know. I have a, a question. This is a, a question for both you, Carcillo, and you, Obi. Obviously, when you're younger and you're playing, you're you're light years better than everybody in your town, right? But you you're a skilled player, right? You're 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 scoring goals. At what point do you go? Okay, I take on a different role, and I'm not going to lead the team in scoring. And, and you have to take on a. You know, you have to take on a different role. Is that does that happen overnight, or does somebody? kind of tell you that or do you find that to stick around how do you go from because Carcillo I mean you always were a skilled player and you scored a ton of big goals and all that kind of stuff but at what point does that change that role 
Well, I think it's uh, it's a matter of having good like coaches and being on teams uh, as you're younger. You know, you start to size yourself up in in our world of hockey when you can become like 15, 16, 17. You move away. You usually play on a professional junior hockey team, and uh, basically you you see like how you compare to these guys now. I played with guys when they were younger that were excellent skaters, really tough, and they just couldn't handle the puck. But they managed to learn how to handle the puck and then eventually became like a very energetic guy that became a pro. Uh, like Vern Fiddler, for example, was a guy. He he wasn't a great junior hockey player, and he just he started in East Coast League, made it to the minors, and always just worked hard and got there. And then there's other guys who are great hockey players when they're younger they come up they have a couple bad years and then they realize fuck if i want to if i want to do this i better be the hardest working guy and find a role as an energy guy and that sometimes that doesn't happen till the middle of your nhl career that was yeah. kind of like my way I'll, I'll go i'll go before we turn over carbon for for me cons you know when i got to the ohl i i i knew i was a pretty good player i started fighting a little bit and then i got to the american league and i knew i had an opportunity to do it and i i knew fighting would keep me around that if I practiced with these guys every single day and continue to get better, that eventually my skill would get there. So when I got to the American League, I, I fought because, yeah, I like to stick up for my teammates, and I did it, but I knew as long as I stayed in that American League that I would eventually get good enough. And then I made the NHL my rookie year. I got, you know, fought a lot to stay in the lineup because I knew I would get better. So for me, when I got to the American League was when I knew that I have to find a way to continue to stay here to get better because I looked around and everyone's skill was the same. So that was kind of my niche that I, if I could fight and stay in here and get better, I could play. Yeah, um, for me, I think it happened uh, when I was playing junior, just with my style of play, I think realizing after I got drafted, I was only 170 pounds soaking wet. And then I was going in and playing, like doing training camps with guys are bringing their kids in and like, man, I, all right. So I got a, I gained about 25 pounds just because I knew I was going to have to defend myself. Um, and I wasn't going to turtle. I was going to be honorable. And then it just grew into, I remember it was the first game in Wilkes-Barre my first AHL game and I knocked out Kevin Colley, who's like super tough. Uh, Lane Nazardine looked at me on the bench and, and Dennis Palmer like, where'd that come from? <laughs> I had no idea, you know? And, um, and then ever since then, you know, you do something like that. The first game, the word gets around pretty quick. Yeah, exactly. And, and, but for me, like, um, I didn't want to get pigeonholed into that fighter role for sure. But I, I wanted to <clears throat> make sure that guys knew that I was unpredictable, that I could score, skate, shoot, pass, stick up for myself and for my teammates, you know? So, um, I felt like if you had, um, more things on your resume gave you a better shot, not only to get called up, but to stay there as well. So, um, then I did the same thing in the, in the NHL, you know, in 14, 17 games with Phoenix. I think I fought eight times with meaningless games, you know, just trying to make a name for yourself. And sometimes you get pigeonholed into, um, certain roles, but, um, but yeah, pretty, pretty happy with the way the career went. Yeah, and, sure. and Carbomb, the only thing looking back on fighting that I would say, and listen, I was never a fucking superstar defenseman, but halfway through my career, I was a legit NHL defenseman, right? I, you could put me out there against just about anyone. And I remember in Vancouver, Mike Gillis, I, I had fucking like eight or nine fights that year, but it'd been a couple weeks without a fight. He calls me in his office and said like, when's the last time you've been in a fucking fight? And I was like, you know, really, man? Like that, like we've lost eight straight. And you think the reason we've lost eight straight is because I haven't been in a fight. So for me, yeah. Carbomb, it was like, 
don't get me wrong, without fighting, I don't make the NHL, and, and I wouldn't have changed anything, but it's just the one thing that pissed me off, and I'm, you just agreed with me, is you get pigeonholed with, they expect you to fight, and it's almost like they take it for granted, like, okay, Carbomo yeah. went out and got like a fight. Like, it's so easy It's to so go easy, oh, Carbomo went out and got in a fight with Ivanis. Okay, like, the next day, they don't even, it keeps you in the lineup, <laughs> but your, your teammates respect you, it, but. Yeah, Ovi, you would have made it, man. Yeah, without, yeah. without having to fight, I guarantee it. You yeah, know that backhand um, sauce like, alone <laughs> would get you there. <laughs> and like, and a coach saying that to you is just like, again, it goes back to like the culture and just what these guys, um, how they played the game before, and just kind of what they know, right? And yeah. it's like they have to blame it on something, and it's a way to like push our buttons and motivate us, right? Um, it makes us feel a little less than, um, but uh, in in doing that, they think. Uh, that we're going to kind of puff up our chest and go and, and do that. Um, do it early on. Like we played in an era where the, the puck wouldn't hit the ice and there'd be gloves off, yeah. you know, like it was absurd. And I never got that man. Like I never liked that part of it. You know, I liked doing it for a reason, totally. whether I was sticking up for myself or sticking up for a teammate, not just to fight, to fight like that. That was, that was not, that's not what the game should be about. No, Carbomb, and people ask me, like, guys, I've golfed when I started playing golf at Big Canyon. They're like, oh, you're a fighter. Do you like fighting? And I said, when it came down to a guy, like, you know, let's say me and you, Carcel, let's say you stuck me or I stuck you and we got upset with each other. Yeah, that was the best part about it. But when they just sent me out there at the start of a period, hey, go out and fight that guy, and you're not mad at him or it doesn't make no. sense in the game, I'm like... You know, you feel like a piece of meat. You feel like man. a piece it's, of meat. I'm like, this is fucking retarded, but it's brutal. Um, yeah, and it weighs on you, you know. And one of the, like one of the fights that I lost bad, and there wasn't that many, but it was uh, Fortichuk in yeah. in Nashville. And I remember Wayne pulled somebody off, like I think it was Nico Kapanen, the right winger, and put me out there. And the game wasn't going in our favor. And so it's like he didn't have to say anything. He's just like, okay, yeah, you're gonna fight it. And he was a legit heavyweight. You know, and and I was not, and I was like, well, I mean, I was forced to, and and you're in that situation. I didn't want to do it. I was scared shitless. Tried to stay away from guys that could break my um, jaw or my face or like really end my career. He beat the wheels off me, like all the way back to <laughs> our bench. And then I remember pushing the linesman because I was just so rattled, not at him for getting beat up, but just for you know Wayne putting me in that situation. And, and it's not just about Wayne, it's like any coach. Right. Um, and, and then I remember going in the room, like getting kicked out and just blowing up the room and, um, you know, breaking sticks and drywall and like having to, having to pay for, you know, like all the damage I did. And then like, so I look back on things like that and I know we laugh about it, but it's like, man, was I fucked up, you know, like what was wrong with me? You no, know? there's there's no worse situation. And listen, you 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 were a tough car. You were as tough as they came. I, and the way you played, I loved it. But you weren't a heavyweight. I played with Darcy Richard and Chuck. That guy was a heavyweight. It was like the time I had to fight Bugart. Like the, the feeling that I had inside when I dropped my gloves with that guy, I was like, like I was scared for my life. Like I remember going in yeah. after the first period and being like, you know, Todd Fedor <laughs> came over and put his arm around me, but I was like, fuck, I'm lucky I didn't get my head completely knocked off. So Bridgie's awesome, man. Yeah, I had Fridge him was in Arizona. Best. One of the best, for sure. So, you were with him in Philly, right? Sure Uppie? was. Yeah, and, awesome. and Phoenix. When I left, uh, when I oh, yeah. the first night, That's he was right. my roommate when I got to Boston. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Phoenix yeah. was in Boston when I got traded from Philly. Show up, fucking, there's Friggy. Yeah, he's the best. Just yeah, don't yeah. let him eat fucking any sort of shellfish <laughs> on the road. No, cause... no fish, yeah. Oh. I had him as a roommate in Arizona, man, because, uh, oh, it was, yeah. It was, <laughs> I watched was him <laughs> one night we were playing cards on the plane. 
And he had this fucking bad beat against someone, and he turned, and he punched the window in the plane, and I thought the fucking fist was going through. I thought we were going down. Like, the the sound it made, I was like, oh, my God. It was fucking nuts. I love Fridgey. He was a great teammate, and he went out after Bugart beat the wheels off me. He went out and fought him in the second period. He was just... The best team guy ever. So, and like you, Carbomb, he's come such a long way, like from the end of his career, yeah. just on what he's doing and and yeah. the message he sends and shares. And he has such a good outlook on life with his family and his kids. Now, it's just it's awesome. The real sports piece, Carcillo, was 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 exciting, yeah, man, bro. How did that come about? And talk to us a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah, so um, when I retired in 2015, it was obviously you know, was, and I was pretty public about it that I was suffering um, from post-concussion syndrome, <clears throat> anxiety, depression, ultimately suicidal ideation that it grew into because I spent 200 grand, you know, traveling to places like LA to do like mox acupuncture, self-deprivation tanks, all the best CT pathologists, neurologists, functional neurologists, you name it, um, concussion specialists, these clinics that are really expensive, got to a point where like nothing was really working. And then um, a former teammate reached out and, and I was in a really dark, dark place 14 months ago um, where I felt like I was a burden to everybody around me, just turned my back on, you know, the only community that I knew. Um, so there's a lot going on. And <clears throat> what scared me into taking such a drastic step was like, I actually started to plan out, um, you know, committing suicide. It was something that was like so fearful because I was looking around at my life. I'm like, man, I have, <laughs> I have an amazing life. I've got three kids who are super healthy. I've got a car in the driveway. I'm somewhat financially stable. I've got a house. I've got an amazing wife. But like, why am I thinking about doing this? And so it was always to try to gain understanding. Um, and um, I've been doing a lot of research like on concussion and stuff. And then when he reached out, it was, I looked at it and I was like, okay, yeah, this this could possibly work. And it was drastic, but I ended up going to a farm and, and doing a big dose of mushrooms, um, five, five and a half grams. And what that did now, you know, you correlate it back to the science and stuff. And it just helped to break up destructive thought patterns that I was experiencing, which is what anxiety and depression is. Um, it's just these constant stuck in these constant, bad, destructive loops. Um, and so what psilocybin specifically does is it wakes up, excites the brain and, um, and, and helps to break up those patterns. So the next day I felt different, you know, I, I like, I wanted to call my wife and I wanted to connect again. Cause one of my things is isolation. Um, and, you know, I started to get energy back. The brain fog started lifting. No more slurred speech. No more um, light sensitivity, noise sensitivity. Patience was better. Um, I wasn't in, in this overthinking mind thinking that I was going to get this neurodegenerative disease. And um, so, like, a lot of things changed for me, and it really did save my life. Um, and I've been on this specific protocol now for, like, 14 months. But uh, when I started 14 months ago, I started to get connected to, like, Heroic Hearts Project and um, people like organizations that are helping veterans and people with subconcussive hits. And I ended up going to Peru and planning a trip with, uh, with Jesse and HHP with veterans and athletes. Like, so this warrior spirit and guys coming together, usually don't talk about what's wrong, um, experiencing a psychedelic trip and, um, and then, you know, um, working through what came up together. And, and it was super, super powerful you know, and, um, yeah, I really, I really credit these medicines to saving my life. Um, so then I delve into the science and I'm sure you guys have seen like the posts I've made and stuff like with the placebo brain and the brain on psilocybin, all the neurological pathways. So 
That was actually a study done in 2014 by Robin Carhart-Harris. After I did the trip and then I felt different, I did a QEEG six months later, came back with no abnormalities. All of my blood work is clear now. And from that study and from what I know, researching all the medical papers on what happens uh, with concussion, I know that this can be a novel care option for TBI survivors, and there isn't anything out there right now. So, um, you know, over the last 14 months, just have been really diligent in, um, I started growing like CBD, hemp, cannabis, um, and then started to put the pieces of the puzzle in place to um, be able to achieve what I want to achieve, which if you want to work with a schedule one substance like psilocybin, you have to go through FDA Health Canada trials and validate a specific protocol um, and formulation that has worked. So um, that's what I've been building the last um, eight, nine months behind the scenes and um, really just starting to talk about it now publicly because we filed all of our patents necessary. So feel comfortable that, that we can start talking about it. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a really exciting time. A lot of people are getting um, uh, a lot of relief from big doses of psilocybin and little doses of psilocybin, maintenance doses, you know. Um, and the thinking behind this protocol, again, is just to stimulate regions of our brain that are shut down due to trauma, because we all have that, especially if you're in collision sports or even uh, emotional trauma, uh, it does the same thing in the brain. Um, and then <clears throat> it creates new neurological pathways. So your brain communicates at a rate that's never been seen before. And that's what an onloading dose will do is just kind of shake up the snow globe and break the destructive thought patterns. And then you go to a maintenance dose over a longer period of time. And it's not just psilocybin, it's other adaptogens. Um, it's things like lion's mane that increase brain drive neutrophic factor and things like, um, you know, CBD that the U S government has a patent on as neuroprotectants. Um, and, I started to expose myself to that for a longer period of time and, and, um, to heal my myelin sheath. And, uh, man, I just, I keep getting better. So there's like the post-traumatic stress disorder, um, that impacts us over time. And then there's post-traumatic growth and I'm still in that. So I'm 14 months in, um, on a specific protocol, working my way to bringing this novel care option to people. But first and foremost, is um, keeping my recovery at the forefront for sure. So yeah, I mean, Carbom, I watched the real sports thing with Brian Goldwyn. The thing I took out of it was I was happy for you, but you know, when they did the piece on your wife, and you could see your wife talk about you know the, the look back in your eyes and your communication back with her, and just how happy you were to be back to Dan Carcillo. So the, the whole thing's unbelievable. We're happy for you, man, and um, I can see the smile on your face. It's good because, you know, last time I did see you a couple years ago in L.A., like, you know, me and you, we had a good conversation. I go about it, and you were, you know what, man? You, you could tell that you were in a dark place and not happy and not feeling good. So to see that smile back, buddy, I'm happy for you. I, I loved playing against you. I wish I would have played with you. We would have missed curfew that a lot together. That we would have missed curfew <laughs> a lot together. But um, yeah, just for, for me, sure man, we we're, we're so happy for you. Um and yeah, thanks for coming on, Car Bomb, and I'm always pulling for you. And I, like I said, I couldn't be happier for you. Yeah, the message you're sending and the path you're on is is great, and a lot of guys can follow and learn from it. Um, you two guys sitting in this seat right here. So uh, to see that, to see you dive in, to to take on a challenge that uh, a lot of athletes are uh, have needed, right? We've all needed this. We've been beat up, right. and our you know our brains and our. Uh, our emotions have been through the washing machine and, and back. And we, uh, yeah. um, you know, we thank you. And that was a great piece. Uh, it really was. It was, yeah. it was incredible. And 
Uh, I'm looking forward to getting on a little microdose myself. <laughs> I think I can elevate this brain to I, a whole other I, level. I, I, I might to, be telling some sure. more stories. Uh, I used to microdose at Bonnaroo quite a bit. Uh, I used to microdose at Bonnaroo. <laughs> I don't think that's microdose. <laughs> that's not my take the micro right away. Uh, yeah, Carbon, thank I mean, you, man, that was yeah. Yeah, man, thank you guys so much. I mean, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate it. Uh, we go way back, and um, yeah, I really appreciate the platform and. Cons, as always, man. Great to great, great to see to you again. To. Great to connect, and you guys are doing some really good things. So I really do appreciate you bringing me on, boys. Yeah, we'll get you out in the studio once things kind of get back to normal. Next time you're out in LA, we'll have you come in here and and uh, catch up some more. Oh, we left a million stories so, on the table. Yeah, Doug, uh, <laughs> Doug Ellen said uh, from the Victory Podcast. He said he's got a Italian meal on on the books. So <laughs> let's uh, yeah, let's do it, Fair man. Enough. In the new year, for sure. I'm down. All right, Carl. Right, right, thank you, man. Have We're happy one. for you, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. All right, thanks to Dan Carbarm, Carcillo, Updog. I mean, you what know, an interview. What huh? an interview. It was unbelievable. And, you know, we touched on his career, the way he played. He was obviously a killer. And then the way it finished off with, you know, what he's going through now, it was just... He's also highly intelligent, Carcillo. He's so well-spoken. He's media savvy. He's all these things. Man, Big I was gonna, I was going to say some of the words he was firing out there. I was you like, had no uh, idea. Was, oh, right? Guys, <laughs> I mean, think about it though. It's it, he just expressed it yeah, deeply because he believes in it so much, and it's changed his life for the better. But I, I think they're onto something. The people yeah. really need to have a look at what you know, asylum asylums are, are doing for for you know people's mental health and he his brain was rattled around more than more than most and you know it was affecting him to the point where he had suicidal thoughts and uh couldn't connect with his family and his kids and that's unfortunately that happens a lot to people so i'm glad he's in the forefront of uh of, of finding help for this and uh yeah he's on to something and I, I even for a guy my head's been rattled around i've been I've played right through the wall as you know obi yeah um I worry about my my head sometimes. Going down, you know, we're going to live another 40, 50 fucking well, years. Well, that's, uh, Uppy, that's yeah. a good question. Do you do you worry, because you, you, you're you sharp, you got all, do you worry about when you're 50 that, that all of a sudden you start to feel these effects? Or Hans, I think we have to. We, we, we'd be silly to say that it has it, it won't affect how we, we live our lives as we grow older. Yeah. And people are starting to realize that if you played a contact sport back in the, in the 80s and 90s and they didn't know what concussions were, that you know the CTE and the and the long term brain damage is is a real thing. And right. Maybe this is something. I mean, would you if you started to feel effects of that? Well, the good news is that medicine just keeps getting better and better. Would you? Is that something that you would consider? If yeah, I hundred percent. And I'm just glad that uh, there's the gum, the Brian Gumbles and the you know the real sports attacking that attacking the science part of this because right. for years the government if they can't control what's being sold and what medicine actually is. Uh, they're not going to look at it. And right now, psychedelics is, um, you know, when you think of MDMA, what that does to post-traumatic stress and, and, and a your, Saturday and, night. And to but, your dance moves. created Bonnaroo. <laughs> it's just real. And it's, it's I, I want people to really take a good look at it, the people in charge. And, and if it's changing people's lives for the better, it needs to be, it needs to be put out there. And, you know, uh, structured dosages of, of stuff like this and, and mushrooms and ayahuasca, uh, if it changes people's life for the better, it needs to be it needs to be addressed. Yeah, and it's good to see, you know, obviously it was only via Zoom, but it was good to see him, him smiling and, and just the, the look in his eyes from the, you know, the year and a half ago where I saw him at Goal Cons at your place, you know, he was, 
you know, we saw some of the stuff he was tweeting and some of the stuff he was saying, and it was like, wow, what's going on with Carcillo? But, you know, he's fighting demons. And I was a little depressed when I first started playing. You know, my first year I was done in, in February, and I was here. You were still playing. Loops was gone. I was, you know, by myself in California. It's, it was tough. But, I, you know, you, you, battle, you, you battle through it. And it's just it's good to see that, you know, I was never at that level that car bomb was going through. But I, I, I shook it off. You get through it. You, you know, you lean on people. But Come off to Hollywood for yeah, a night. mix it up with Collie. Fuck, stay at Collie's pad. But it's good to see him, you know, smiling and, and happy. And I'm glad it's worked out for him because, you know, he was in a dark place for a long time. So I, I'm happy for him. He's a healer, man. He's yeah. uh, he's a healer and he's doing good things. And um, what, a, what a great interview. Great yeah. episode, fellas. Yeah. As always, boys, thank you, Captain Collie. Up dog. Love you, boys. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.